questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Our esoteric and occult symbols, icons, themes, and undercurrents intentionally placed in films, or do they manifest by happenstance? Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, past, present, and future, subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. Tonight, we discuss more esoteric imagery in popular movies with a veteran of this radio program, Robert W. Sullivan IV, Esquire, a philosopher, historian, antiquarian, jurist, theologian, writer, and lawyer. He has written many books, including the latest one, Cinema Symbolism 2. And we have a more comprehensive bio right on our website at veritasradio.com. And directly from Baltimore, Maryland, I'd like to welcome Robert Sullivan. Hello, Robert, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you? Thank you, Mel. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. And uh, it's a pleasure to be back on Veritas. Yes, I believe this is my third time on. It's always a pleasure to be here. And um, I'm looking forward to this interview. Uh, It's much appreciated. And uh, thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Likewise. And I read this question during the intro, but I'll read it again because I think it's a great opener. Are esoteric and occult symbols, icons, themes, and undercurrents intentionally placed in films or do they manifest by happenstance? My my answer is, I believe in most instances, they are intentionally placed. I think there are instances where they could be accidental. I don't rule that out. Uh, but I believe because of how well this this esoteric, um, th- this esoterica is presented in films and how uh, well adroitly it's concealed, leads me to believe that it is, it is uh, that, that a... Um, a uh, intentional hand is behind it. I do think there are instances, there are exceptions to the rule where it could be by accident. Um, I don't rule that out. I don't rule that out when I am a- analyzing a film. But but when you really start breaking some of these movies down, I mean, and, and you start seeing, you, you understand the context, the esoteric context it's being presented in. And then you really begin to understand the symbolism of what the filmmaker and the filmmakers are going for. I, I, there is little doubt in my mind now that these guys are master craftsmen and really know what they're doing. And yes, it is intentionally placed in, in modern day cinema and, and, and older cinema as well. This is not, I'll, I'll just end the question. This is not a new invention. Um, you will find this in cinema um, going back to its inception, uh, movies such as Metropolis, you know, and then into the 40s with Wizard of Oz. So, yes, I do believe it is it is very uh, it is intentionally placed in film. I remember when I watched Metropolis, a very old movie, great movie with the soundtrack by Giorgio Moroder. It's, it's a very strange thing to do, but it's interesting. Now, jokingly, I was asking you before we started, this is wow. You just added so many more movies. Do you spend an enormous amount of time dissecting every movie before you can write about them? Yes, I, I generally, the, I, I, it's a great question. Uh, and it, 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 the, the study cannot then be done in a movie theater. I mean, I need my notepad. I need to be able to write notes. I, uh, the, the movie you know, has to be watched and then has to be rewatched. And then it, depending on how well this stuff is hidden and what the filmmaker's intentions are, you, know, you will constantly find just the littlest thing um, the littlest symbol could have some greater meaning later on in the movie or vice versa. Something that happens later on in the movie could have been anticipated, uh, perhaps by something that happened earlier. 
Um, it, it, it takes multiple viewings to pick up on this, uh, at least for me. Uh, it takes note taking. Um, a lot of times these movies are multi-layered. Um, so they have one, you know, multiple levels of symbolism. I think of a movie like Wizard of Oz, a movie I took on in my first book. I think of another movie like Crimson Peak, um, which is multi-layered. Um, and and the, the answer is, you know, we were talking about this right before the, sh- you know, you know, in the in the pre-show portion. It is. It, it's watching the show and or watching the movie, and it, it can be. It can be without question. I don't deny that this can be very arduous at times. Um, you know, I'll be sitting there writing, and you need to reference a scene or look at it. And I was telling you, I mean, this is true. And if you, if a person out there has a Blu-ray player, they're going to know what I'm talking about. If you turn a Blu-ray player on, and you throw a movie on. I mean, it can be 15, 20 minutes before you can even pull up the movie, even skipping over the previews and the ad- advertisements. I mean, this can become very time-consuming. Um, and you know, luckily, sometimes if I'm writing and I, and I can find the scene or what I'm looking for or on on YouTube or something, that does save time and, and can be uh, advantageous. But um, yeah, it takes multiple viewings. Um, it takes uh, extensive note taking. Um, you got to pay attention. You can't watch the movie, uh, you know, like have it on in the background. I mean, you got to sit there and really watch it. Um, and like I said, it, it, it's a deep study. Um, and, uh, it, it, it can be time consuming. I certainly do not deny that. Before I forget, let me bring up the, let's start with some movies. Let me bring up the John Carpenter movie. I'm a huge fan of John Carpenter, by the way. Uh, they live from 1988, lots of symbolism. And usually a movie's more, dare I say, covert or the people behind the film, you know, they hit us with the collective unconscious, as, as Carl Jung used to say, in how they use their symbolism. You know, the Matrix comes to mind with uh, Neo's passport expiration date, uh, September 11th, 2001. But sure. the movie they live, it was always, you know, as the John Carpenter was slapping us in the face, attacking the collective conscious, if I can say that. So we could wake up to how things really are. You know, the aliens employ subliminal hypnotic, obey, conform, marry, uh, reproduce, sleep, consume, and to have no independent thought. This movie, do you think George Carpenter did it on purpose? And I'm surprised that he was able to get out there because we watch this thing now over, you know, 20, almost 30 years later. And it's, wow, this is happening. Yeah, it's, it's a great film to begin with. It's a movie that I take on inside Cinema Symbolism 2. Um, it's a great movie to start with as well because there's a lot going on inside that movie. Um, oh, yes. I mean, I think it's completely intentional by Carpenter. Um, no doubt about it. I have a chapter in Cinema Symbolism 2, and this is the chapter the movie falls under. It's called The Illuminati in Film. Uh, and and certainly, um, you know, you know, you think of an Illuminati movie. And I'm not talking about the Illuminati being a force in Hollywood pulling the strings. I'm actually talking about the group, um, you know, as it is presented on screen, as it is presented in cinema. And uh, with with uh, they live, um, I, I put this in the Illuminati character category where you really have this the, the this race of aliens, you know, the suppression, the, the, the complete um, suppression of the divine spark. Um, the, the, you know, trying to extinguish it, um, the the moral consciousness, that's a catchphrase you will constantly hear now. Um, you will find it in this movie 20 years ago, where the aliens are obviously trying to keep uh, the, the human race in a dumbed down, uh, you know, condition of stasis. Um, so, so the aliens are really pre- presented as this puppet master. They're using consumerism, materialism to enslave mankind. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it has all those elements. And I think uh, Carpenter really um, did a great job with the film. And I think he was trying to tell us something. I, I said in the book, and this was absolutely true, um, the, the protagonist in the in the movie was played by the professional wrestler, Rowdy Roddy Piper, who died a little. Rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And Piper had actually thrown out a tweet, I want to say, or at some point in time and made a comment, something to the effect that he considered the movie a documentary. I mean, that's pretty interesting as well that, you know, that this was really going on in society. And I, th I think you can find elements of this. You know, I mean, I think Carpenter, obviously, with the whole space alien thing is, you know, it, it's not meant to be taken quite literally, but there are realistic elements in it. Consumerism, materialism, the obsession with wealth. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I like it in the movie where. Even you have the, 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 the guys on, on the, the, the hacker who's hacking the alien signal coming in saying there's this war on consciousness. They want to keep, them, uh, you know, humanity impoverished. I mean, even the people watching are like, you know, just shut this guy up. I mean, they don't even want to hear it. You know, it, it's, it's like it's like they say in the Matrix movie, you know, when, when Morpheus is telling Neo, most people just want to tune this stuff out. That is absolutely true. Um, and, and, you know, you, you will find that uh, even today where a lot of people would just prefer to live you know, or, or, not, or not accept a, a painful truth, as it were, and just accept a, a, almost like a, a falsehood, as it were. It's more comfortable, I suppose. But I love the movie. Um, it's something I took on. It's, it's very illuministic. Um, and I, it's funny, I was on another show with this, and I'll just end on this. Um, this, this movie also contains elements of Gnostic theology. And uh, I, I talk about this in the book. And it, it, I, I, I was talking to this other host, and it, it kind of came to mind. You know, why is it that these Illuminati movies or these puppet master movies are Gnostic? And I think it's the role of the Demiurge, you know, the puppet master controlling mankind. So you have these Illuminati overtones in, in They Live, but also some Gnostic elements as well. I, I totally agree with you, Mel. Very symbolic. And it's a great film. We were working on an interview or, or getting an interview with Roddy Piper back in 2013 or 14. And I really wonder what he would have said about this. If, you know, if he would have been allowed to even talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Piper, Piper is the um, protagonist in it. I, I believe he died a, a little over a year ago. It may have been two years now. It was 15 or 16. I, 15. I yeah, OK. So it's been two years then. Um, and I, I believe there was a tweet he sent out uh, saying, um, you know, that he considered the movie a documentary. I like it in the, um, the film, how the aliens are using materialism and consumerism and, and this is again a gnostic theme as well and how piper is rejecting all this and you know through the through the sunglasses he's able to see through their lies and you know one of the main gnostic tenets is anti-materialism uh you know you know you know spiritual you know shedding off of materialism for spiritual gnosis and i, I like it in the film i mean his name is nada uh, which is spanish for nothing um, and that's very Gnostic. Uh, you know, he's nothing, but he's going to take down the material uh, overlords, uh, you know, the the, the, the demiurge like, you know, aliens. They remind me of what, you know, in Gnosticism, what you would call archons or something like that. You know, the, the sort of enforcers of the demiurge. So, yeah, it's, it's a very symbolic movie. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what, you know, I, I don't know what Piper would have said about it uh, in an interview. I know that he did throw out a tweet, uh, I believe, at some point in time because I, I quoted in there. Um, where he considered the movie a documentary. But it's interesting how they add the alien variable to the equation, you know, hard to reach, untouchable. When, you know, when we look at how things run right now, I have a hard time believing that it's, a, it's an alien somewhere else pulling the strings. I think it's a group of people 
And we've discussed this somewhat before in a couple of shows before the last one we did. But uh, these puppeteers, very hard to reach. If you look at the Federal Reserve, if you look at behind the scenes, do you see any connection here that they're putting this alien thing to distract people from, from the real puppeteers? Well, I don't know if I go so far to say it's a distraction. I think it's more of a cinematic device. Um, and you will find this where the aliens, you know, are probably a little more cinematically appealing than the Federal Reserve or something like that. Than a few I men mean, or women, I, yep. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the aliens are supposed to be metaphors for the puppet masters is the, is the way I, I kind of would interpret the movie. Um, you know, wh whatever you want to call it, you know, the Federal Reserve, Bilderberg, Trilateral you know, skull and bones or something like that. I, I think it's more metaphor. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't see the aliens, you know, as Carpenter actually believing there's a race of aliens who are, you know, doing all this. I mean, I, I think it's done for entertainment purposes. But nevertheless, I think the, the, the underlying theme is powerful. And I think that's really all that matters when it comes to that movie, because it's so, it's so well done. And I, I just think it's a great film. And uh, it really is. A, it really is a lesson of, you know, like a warning almost about materialism and, seeking uh you know how how you know and like i said it's very gnostic in this how spiritual gnosis should be sought over materialism i, I think on an esoteric level that, that that's the underlying theme of that film and i said federal reserve yeah. i was just you know folks you can fill in the blanks i could sure. say tavistock institute i could say committee of 300 you name it so now another movie and since the sequel of this movie is coming out i'll, I'll like to discuss it too blade runner 2049. Let's talk about the 1982 original. What were some of the Gnostic and occult aspects of, of that movie? Sure. This this was a movie that I talk about in Cinema Symbolism too, and a, a movie that I took on in Cinema Symbolism. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you're dealing with all sorts of esoteric, uh, occult, Kabbalistic uh, themes. I mean, right off the bat, you're dealing with Gollum making, Gollum creation, uh, the, the um, imbuement of an, you know, inanimate object in this in this case a robot um which is not inanimate but it's a robot with human qualities with human traits um and and this is exactly what you have uh in in blade runner uh, with the nexus sixes this is again another gnostic film where the nexus sixes are more philosophical and more interested in the spiritual gnosis than there are than their human counterparts are um it, it, the whole movie is sort of what i would describe as a gnostic journey um and you'll find this in other movies as well where the character of rick rick Descartes. Uh, this is Harrison Ford. I mean, there's a whole underlying um, uh, theme in that movie is whether he's a Nexus 6 also. Um, this is never fully solved, um, but it's certainly possible. Um, and and where where he, he he is actually a Nexus 6 and he's on a spiritual journey to figure this out. He does come to the epiphany that the Nexus 6s are worthy of human life. I mean, I, I like it how the Terrell, the symbol of Terrell is the owl, which is the symbol of wisdom. So not, not only are these guys the creators of life, they're also symbolically the creators of wisdom. And thus you have the, um, you know, the Nexus Sixes as these very like philosophical warriors. Um, you think of them almost as fallen angels, as what I call Enochian demons, um, sort of good, bad guys. You know, they're trying to help mankind out, trying to show mankind that they're worthy of life. Mankind doesn't want to hear it. Um, this this is very Enochian, where the the demons are trying to help mankind out with the knowledge, but um, ultimately it's considered evil in the end. You'll you'll find this symbolism where the one Nexus Six, played by Joanna Cassidy, is killed, uh, and 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 when she's shot, her, if you look at her shoulder blades, it looks like clipped wings, um, like a fallen angel. That that's very well done. And then again at the end, 
you had the whole the whole symbolism with with Richter card symbolizing gnosis um you know or a painting gnosis i should say it's pouring rain symbolizing the rain, rain you know the waters of baptism he goes up he ascends the building symbolizing ascension the attainment of knowledge and of course then he has his gnostic epiphany with uh with roy batty there realizing that the nexus sixes are deserving of life um you have the christ allegory uh going on with roy batty where he releases the dove uh as a symbol of his holy spirit this comes out of the new testament where um, Christ is being baptized, you know, again, the water symbolism, the rain symbolism, uh, and and uh, the dove uh, descends from heaven, symbolizing the Holy Spirit. So again, a Christian allegory there as well. And it's, it's symbolically showing you, yes, the Nexus Sixes do have souls, and Batty expires, and of course, then the, the bird takes off, and he's ascending to heaven. Uh, very religious, very Gnostic, uh, all this is. Um, in modern day, if you want to fast forward some of the symbolism, uh, and I'll just end the question on this. Uh, you know, you know, you think of a movie like V for Vendetta, uh, same same symbolism where the girl played by Natalie Portman, Evie, ascends the building, at, you know, in the midway point to receive Gnosis. Now she's joining V in his nihilistic mission, spiritual Gnosis, gnosis against the, you know, all consuming uh, Norse fire England. Uh, again, same same sim- symbolism ascends the building in the pouring rain, ascension baptism, rebirth, um, the clipped wings, uh, symbolism. This is a movie uh, comes out of, you'll find this in modern day movie that came out a few years ago by Walt Disney called Maleficent. It's the whole notion of the Enochian demon, the good bad guy or the misunderstood bad guy where Maleficent is trying to be positive, but winds up being a fallen angel. And, and this is portrayed on film quite literally where the one character literally clips her wings off of her. Um, so very religious, very, a lot of symbolism, um, of course, I have not seen the new Blade Runner movie yet. It, it's not out. Uh, I look very much forward to seeing it. But um, yeah, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner, a lot of esoteric symbolism on it. And again, I, I believe, just to harken back to what you were asking me at the beginning of the show, I believe it's all intentional and, and very well done. And since we're talking about Ridley Scott, let's just talk about Prometheus for a moment. Again, we see the, the seeding of life, but extraterrestrial rays, oh, you know, panspermia in a way. Uh, like the movie E.T. and the cover, you see the the finger of an alien touching uh, Elliot. Or if you go to the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo, you see God touching the hand of Adam. You see these things are more and more saying God is an extraterrestrial. Well, that's right, Mel, and and I'm glad you brought the the ET symbolism up because that's a great that's a great point to make. Is you know we talk about you know, uh, cinema symbolism, hidden symbols in me, in clues and in, in movies. Um, this is a deep study. Uh, movie posters can have esoteric meaning. Uh, the music employed in, in movies can have an esoteric uh, meaning. My goodness gracious. I, I, I've been asked about this on other shows. Um, the casting of a particular actress or actress can be done for occult purposes for the cultural valances they bring to a certain movie and invest this movie um, subconsciously from other movies. This is a fascinating study. Uh, movies can draw on other movies. Um, so, you know, that whole thing there with E.T. touching Elliot's hand, this is a point I make in the book, that is a complete um, replication of the, you're correct, of the Sistine Chapel with Michelangelo. And it, it's definitely, you know, suggesting the whole notion that um, God, the supreme being, is extraterrestrial. Um, no, no question about it. Um, and you'll see it there, right there on the ET poster. And, and it's, it's a fascinating study how far these uh, movie makers will go to include this. 
Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.